Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2303. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, I'm well. I'm back across the pond again in Charleston, in the United Kingdom, with a very special guest by the name of Tom Seward. Tom, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I certainly am. Good morning, Mark. How are we doing? We're doing well. Now, I know you're a guy who likes things that roll on two wheels versus four, <laughs> but those things still have clutches, except for maybe, and I'm going to mention this a little bit later, the fact that you have an electric version. So we'll get into that. But before I introduce you and we get into your world and what you and your company are doing, which is so important, what's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Tom? Uh, it's probably the fact that although I've got a very English accent, I'm actually a Welshman hiding in England at the moment and uh, attempting to survive with an English accent still. I'm not Welsh either country. Yeah, they, they let you in. Okay. <laughs> now they now they won't let you out. Very cool. You got it. I'm trapped. Yeah, just a little bit. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, we're going to have some fun today talking about, as I said, a very important subject, and that's recycling and uh, doing things that are great for the environment, and that's what your company's all about. So let me give you an introduction here. Tom Seward is on the EcoBat team supporting the automotive space. EcoBat is the world's biggest recycler, meeting essential energy needs by making the business of batteries safer and more sustainable for a circular energy economy. His career started in the waste industry, first in the UK, then he worked in South America. His work in waste management evolved into waste battery recycling. Tom joined EcoBat in 2017, initially as a commercial director managing the chemistries of end-of-life batteries an interesting term from portable house batteries up to extremely large submarine batteries oh my gosh he is passionate about the automotive world with a focus on two wheels rather than four and his first motorbike was a moped i remember those a bike he purchased at the age of 14 and today he rides an electric scooter powered by lead acid batteries and is on his way into the high-tech world of future mobility. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. So give them a little love. They keep the petrol or the charge in the tanks here, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented 
and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkages about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. TechForce is a charity of choice here at Cars Yeah. Auto techs are in high demand, but the supply... It's critically short. For every one tech who graduates school, there's five jobs waiting for them. Said another way, four technician jobs go unfilled for every technician graduate. Lots of young people love cars, but don't know how to turn that passion into their careers. TechForce Foundation shows them through career exploration, technical education, and the workforce development solutions. Join Cars yeah in supporting TechForce Foundation and its mission to solve the technician shortage by donating at techforce.org today. Tom, we are back. I want to talk a little bit about your career because this is interesting. When you think about waste management, the first thing that comes to mind is a truck that comes and picks up your trash every day and your recycling bins and dumps them and they take them off to these magical places and you kind of go oh, i wonder where that ended up oh well doesn't matter next uh, but your career has evolved and ecobat is a very fascinating company and when i first learned about you guys i went i want to have you on the show because batteries are a big thing evs are a big thing and it's become unfortunately a bit political and controversial in some ways but you guys are creating an environment that these mechanisms these parts if you will can be reused but i first want to talk a a little bit about what got you into this industry, what's fascinating for you, and we're going to dive into Ecobat and all the things that you and your team do. So let's start a little bit about you and your career. Yeah, sure. Okay, so as you said earlier on, I'm, I'm based in the UK, and in my current role, I'm the account director for Ecobat Solutions for both the UK and Northern Europe. And the, the business we're involved in now is providing services with advanced battery chemistries. So mainly that's lithium ion, but other chemistries as well. And predominantly the part of the business I'm involved with is the non-lead sector. And we're dealing with batteries from sort of little micro hybrid cars, right through to full battery electric SUVs. And you can imagine the massive scale and size of some of these battery packs that we're now receiving and working on. And I'd, I'd say my role now is it's almost a collision. So it's a collision with waste management hits automotive. So I've been working with customers all of my professional career and providing services for waste management and using the American term, a dumpster. So in the, in the old world, a dumpster would turn up at your customer's premises take materials and then sort them and try and recycle them. And in our old battery world, that's what we were doing just with batteries. We were collecting the batteries, sorting them into different chemistries and then recycling them. But the the, the collision has really been where the automotive electromobility world has then collided with waste management, applying all of the sustainability techniques, reuse, reduction, all the things that we know that as a as a business we now need to be doing, where we're able to take batteries, test them, repair them, put them back into their first life again. So if they came out of a car, they can go back into a car, whether it's the same one or a different one, it doesn't matter. Or alternatively, take the components out of a battery, 
and then put them into a second life application. So something like an energy storage provision would be a great example of, of second life. And then at some point, those batteries will really hit their true end of life. And that's the point then that we can recycle them and recover the, the core components within. And I think the most exciting thing really here is the fact that people don't realise that this is what's going on now. This isn't the future. This is what we're able to do as a business, as an industry. And it's already happening with batteries that are coming off the market at the moment. I think it's fascinating. And the battery industry or less waste management industry is fascinating to me because we've come such a long way. When I was a little kid, I remember going to the dump with my dad. I thought it was so exciting. And we'd back up the truck and unload it. And I'd stand there and there's piles of all this stuff. And most people go, you thought the dump was interesting? But there's all this (laughs) cool stuff. You know, oh, there's a TV and there's this. And, you know, we take the fluorescent light tubes and throw them and they'd burst open and all the toxins (laughs) would fly out. I know, but that's the way things (laughs) I know. Now now you're shaking in your boots. I know, because that was a different, different world. And then it all got buried and there it sits. And you think about all this waste that's buried around the planet and just percolating down there, no doubt uh, causing some problems in some cases when gases arise. But what you guys are doing is so important because really in a way, and I wanted to ask you this because I've had people in the, the show that are in the aluminum business. And I was told by a gentleman that about 95 plus percent of the aluminum that goes into cars these days is all recycled. We've gotten almost to a point where we don't have to mine the product anymore. And I would assume it's how fast EVs are coming. We're going to, do you think we're going to get there with batteries to where we don't, because there's all this controversy about mining cobalt. And and I know you guys aren't involved in that. You're involved in reusing this stuff so you don't have to bury it in the ground. But do you think we'll get to that point? I, it, it's a very interesting question and debate, but I, I, I'll answer that first of all and say we are already there and we have been there for decades. Yay! And, <laughs> and that is through the lead acid battery. Lead is the world's most recycled product and has been since Roman times, they've been, and pre Roman times, they've been using lead, remolding it, reusing it, and it's infinitely recyclable. So that's been the case with batteries. However, the big change has been with the advanced battery chemistries. It's been a lot harder to be able to recover those core metals and core materials. And things certainly are improving within the industry. The recovery rates from, for example, lithium ion battery compared to a lead acid battery are vastly different. But that is where there is a huge drive to be able to recover the maximum amount of those resources that are going into those different batteries now and what we're calling the new advanced chemistries. But today there is still a requirement to mine large quantities of those those metals that are in the lithium ion batteries. However, as the recycling rates recover and improve, that will drive the requirement for less and less to be pulled from out of the earth and actually reused and recovered, yes. It's wonderful. And that's the place we all want to be for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have to deal with that. Now you guys have, you have all these different uh, progresses, I guess, through how you deal with this. And I had the luxury of meeting with Tom and uh, a colleague of his named Peter, who's actually going to be a guest in the show tomorrow. And they showed me a lot of interesting things that I didn't even know were going on and everything from the safe transport of these batteries, which is very important. We all have seen the, you know, the Car, electric car fires that seem to burn forever and nobody can put them out all the the scary stuff that, that that they throw at us but but you have to store it safe I and mean, when we get on airplanes and they say you don't have anything in your luggage you know these ion batteries lithium ion batteries that could self-ignite i guess transportation assessment dismantling uh, material recovery can you kind of walk us through all the different phases of 
from the point of, okay, this battery's got to go somewhere, it's done, or it needs to be fixed, to a new second life, as you say. I like the idea of second life. That's pretty cool. Reincarnated batteries. Absolutely. I think there's there's an awful lot of different paths, um, depending on what the issue is or what the reason is the batteries come into one of our facilities, then we'll dictate what path it will go down. But collection is the first stage and a very, very important one. And you mentioned about the critical batteries. That is a very small percentage of the batteries that we move and collect. But those that are critical are very, very important. We are collecting batteries where you've some of the largest batteries and you've got the container. You're lifting almost three and a half metric tons to transport that battery in a special container. And then you need to transport it somewhere safe. And that's in a box that has been fire tested. So if the worst was to happen, a fire is fully contained within and is perfectly safe for transport. So that's a, a huge a huge hurdle, which has um, meant that there is appropriate safety systems. There's big costs involved. There's different transport techniques. But it's the only way you can move those safely to then take them to an appropriate centre, to take them back down to a module or a cell level, depending on what you're doing, and then deconstruct that battery back into whatever the next stage is going to be. And once you've collected that battery, then we will test it, discharge it. Within our facility, one of the interesting little facts is we're actually able to discharge those packs and charge vehicles that are plugged into our EV chargers at the same time. And, okay, so now wait, wait a minute. You take the yeah. power out of these batteries you get, and then you put it into something else, so it doesn't just. You, you you come and see. You come and visit our site with an EV car. You plug it in that charger, and whatever we're discharging at that time, those same physical ions will be flowing around the circuit, discharging from waste batteries straight into the vehicles that are plugged in on the chargers. Oh, That's is, it. This is so cool. I mean, it's kind of like uh, getting a crash car and emptying the gas tank and putting the gas in another car. Is that a simplified version of your uh, your magic exactly ions? What, that's exactly what it's doing. And it's, it's not greenwashing because this is genuinely the same flow. It's not an offset of energy. It is part of our system of how it works. Cool. So, yeah, we, we don't want to waste any of that power. Right. Oh, I love it. It's very, very cool. And then you, like you say, you test it and you decide, okay, can this be corrected and fixed or do we need to dismantle all this and all the components and then that goes into an application where it can be reused absolutely and some of the some of the fixes can be done through balancing cells or balancing modules replacing software so a pack comes in we communicate with the pack and then the pack can go back out again so we don't necessarily have to physically dismantle anything but it all depends on the on the on the packs we've got the different communication tools within the packs and the assembly techniques are so different. It's a broad, broad spectrum of what we've got. There are every single pack has got a different variation, a different variety. So what we can do really depends on how how closely we can work with the, the OEM manufacturer um, as to then the, the level of technique and diagnosis we can do to get a, a pack that can either be repaired or we can strip it down to module level and then work with those modules and just rebalance them or test and cycle them. And then we've got a tested product that can get then go back out into alternative uses or we just keep a series of donor modules. And then when we've got packs that need extra modules in, 
you can put them in, replace them, and then a pack can go back out at the end of it. It's very cool. I love this whole thing. Now, you guys have multiple locations. I know we're talking in the UK today, but you're also where else? We do. Yeah. So we've got our UK facility. We've also got a facility in Germany, which is historically more focused on the recycling side, but that's evolving. And we've got Ecobat operations throughout Europe, but also heavily within the US. So we are, we've, we've been very strong in the US on the lead market, but Ecobat Solutions is just opening up its first facility this year for recycling these batteries over in Arizona as well. So it's, it's very much a European and US operation, along with our team in South Africa as well. Wow, it's tremendous. I love it. What's the favorite part of what you do in your career? What excites you the most? Um, I think the, the thing which is really exciting me at the moment, which I never anticipated or saw when I joined this business, was the, the what I call the hockey stick effect of growth. So you look at all the projections of EV cars coming onto the market, I'm realizing I'm right at the start of that journey and that growth and at the forefront. And I've almost, and as a business, we've, we've fallen into it. And now being sort of what we call leading the charge in terms of actually being at the forefront and developing the techniques with the first people to do certain things with certain of these batteries. And it's, it's exciting. And this is very, very early days. The volumes are relatively small today. And there's going to be a tsunami of batteries that we can work on in the future. It's tremendous. Yeah, because this entire EV revolution is coming down so fast that it yeah. kind of makes your head spin a little bit. So it, it's absolutely fascinating. You know, I want to ask a little bit about what I call our driving inspirations and mm -hmm. what has uh, or who has perhaps somebody been in your life that's been a great influence or inspiration to you. This could be in your business or it could be in your personal life. I think probably this might be a little bit of a slightly off the wall one. It's probably somebody that's motivated me the, the most. And it was my first manager on my graduate program. And she was probably one of the worst managers I've ever had in my life and I'll ever face again. So I've learned all the techniques of how not to manage people or be managed from her. So I think I learned a lot of things, how they shouldn't be done. And then conversely, one of my mentors was the next manager who really gave me the foothold into my career and how I de developed into waste, the waste industry. So I had some real contrast within the space of six months, but they were the two key influences that really have shaped my career and in going into this industry. You know, this is fascinating because a guest I had on a few weeks ago has done seven startups and they've all been in the tech industry. He's doing one now, which involves a new evolution of self-driving cars and the the cameras needed. They're going past LIDAR into this new technology. And he said something very interesting. He said, everybody young wants to go out and start their own business. They should go and work for a big company so they can learn how things are done, not only how they're done right, but more importantly, how they're done wrong. And he said, I hope you get a couple bosses that are just horrible so that you can learn how to be a better person and how to better manage people so that you, when you become a leader, you know what not to do. Because we've all had these, these unfortunate situations. And I've read statistics that most people leave jobs not because of the job nor the pay, even if the pay isn't what they hope for. 
it's the person who's managing them is what drives them out, right? Absolutely. And I would say she was the most uninspiring but inspiring person ever to work for. So, yeah, well, yeah. Th- then there was – you. the great thing here is you took some some lemons and made some lemonade out of it. So you got to it. use the old term. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about a challenge because uh, the industry that you're in has challenges. It's always moving, ever-present and so forth. Is there a challenge that maybe you can share that either EcoBat overcame or maybe something down the road that, that you're working on? I think the biggest challenge for us is getting our scale and our proposition scaled up at the right pace that the batteries are available and coming off the market. That is the huge challenge that nobody knows. And one of the good examples on this is we can see when vehicles are placed on the market and therefore sold. Therefore, you can have a prediction as to when you'd expect an end of life battery coming in. But there is a huge spectrum of how long some of these batteries are lasting. The interesting fact here is that a lot of these batteries are lasting a lot longer than have been anticipated. So that's a good news story. Um, But it does then mean the challenge in terms of having our our capacity is ready at the right point when these volumes hit us. Um, and, and those predictions are very, very difficult to make. And then alongside that as well, a number of the battery manufacturers have various recalls and difficulties. Therefore, we do get batteries that are involved in those programs. So that, that means that we can work on those batteries and put those into the appropriate uses or recycling them. However, it's that volume is, is very unpredictable because a large recall might create an awful lot of volume our way, but at the same time as the end of life, there's no there's no there's a there's estimates and there's science behind it, but it's not an exact figure. Well, well it gets back to the management side of a business and having enough people. We all encountered that uh, and we're still encountering it somewhat after COVID, of course, of companies not having enough people to work for them. And we experienced it yesterday with a company that I tried to call to place an order. And they said, we're experiencing a very high vol volume. We cannot help you. Thank you. Goodbye. And they hung up. And I'm like, seriously? Uh, wow. Okay. Good for you. Doing so well. You don't need a new customer. I think I won't go back to you. And it was a major brand too. I was kind of yeah. shocked, but you know, they got caught short. Who knows? Why uh, these things happen, but this is a juggling act for everybody. You know, we do talk about about cars here, of course, and batteries are a big part about cars, but I want to talk about a special vehicle in your life. And I mentioned in your intro that moped, and then now you're on a electric scooter, if you will. And I've had guests on the show that are building the next wave of new electric motorcycle scooters for both larger use out in the country, long drives, motocross, but also inner city stuff. But is there a special vehicle in your life and is it involve electricity? Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's two that stand out, both of which are two-wheeled. So the, the Peugeot 103 moped I bought for the equivalent of, uh, well, £10 or $10. Um, when I was 14, I stripped it down, restored it, got that going, and that still remains in my garage now proudly. It doesn't it doesn't go very far, but every, every six months or so, I'll fire it up and sit on the pedals and twist it around, and you have to pedal it up the hill, and when you're going downhill, the light's very bright, and when you're going uphill, there's virtually <laughs> no light at all, so you've got to be careful on your route at night. What era is that, that Peugeot? What, what year was it first made? 1971. Well, you know, this is interesting because I remember in the 70s when I was in junior high and high school, if you were a cool kid, you had a moped. You know, that was like, okay, because I went to school on a skateboard, you know, so. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't a very cool kid even in my day with my moped. I had it, I had mobility, but it wasn't, it certainly wasn't deemed particularly cool. 
Um, you, you put it on its stand and you pedal it to, to make it sound good, but uh, as soon as you hit go, you're not going very fast. Yeah, well, you can get there quicker than the kids on their bicycles. So that, that, there is that. That makes yeah. you cool in my mind. So there you go. <laughs> but you said there was a second one. Yeah. So um, being in the battery industry, somebody knew I was involved in batteries and had a electric scooter. And I've got a habit of buying uh, cheap, cheap motorbikes and restoring them. And he couldn't get it to work. So I said, oh, give it to me. I'll buy it. I'll have a go. I'll have a play. And um, I took it to pieces. I bought some new batteries and got it going. And it was a, a relatively early electric scooter, lead acid batteries. It wasn't anything particularly special, but it was running off, I think it was five 12 volt lead acid batteries, 12 mile range. But it was a fantastic way just to go around locally, go to the shops on a Saturday morning on a sunny day. And, yeah, it's, it was uh, the fir- my first route into electromobility. What's the brand of that scooter? It's, I, it's an unknown to me anyway, Chinese brand. Okay. It was, uh, I, I wouldn't, I, I did see it on the vehicle registration plate and I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Without offending somebody somewhere. So. Yeah, no, I understand. So I have a bit of a, uh, a unique degree here in uh, the Cars yeah World Headquarters. I am a uh, car psychologist. Which means I can okay. cr- I can crawl into your skull and we can investigate a concept here. If you were reincarnated, or you talk about first life, second life, so this is a second life reincarnated as a vehicle. What would you be? But more importantly, why? Okay, I'm probably going to go not where you're expecting here. Good, and that would be a, a Ford Escort RS Turbo. Ooh, okay. yeah. So my father had one of those, and that was the the cool car the cool car to have. It had all the the Recaro seats and. When you put his foot down, you get sucked into those bucket seats. And as a six or seven year old child, it's pretty exciting when you're doing some overtaking and you're, you're sucked into the seat. Yeah. So I, I, I like that. I suppose it's fast and it's nimble. And certainly in my eyes, as a six year old, it looks good. So, yeah, that, that, that's something I'd like to be reincarnated at. You know, that name Ford Escort goes all the way back to European rally cars. And exactly. yeah, some really cool stuff. And I love the really old ones. I think there's the Ford Escort RS 2000 Mark one. And, you know, they had a That's little it. bit of a cool, they kind of remind me of the Celica and the Celica GT back in that era, which are all kind of neat coupe backs and evolved into, of course, the, the golf. And I had a Scirocco in 79. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was in college. So yeah. Okay. That's very interesting. I think you're the first Ford Escort RS Turbo on the show. So that's unique. And that brings back a lot of memories to me, actually thinking there, because as a chart, my father was a, a, a doctor, local doctor, a general practitioner. As a hobby, he was actually a, a doctor for the RAC rally. That was oh, the big wow. rally in the Okay. So as a child, I'd often be dragged around on a, on a weekend and he would be a medic at certain points. So I'd watch the rally. So that's where I think he got his inspiration for the, the Escort RS Turbo. He had the Mexico. He had the RS 2000. He had, he had them all as a child. So I think that's where his appetite came from. And it's filtered down my way as well. Oh, rally racing. I watch those videos and I just am in awe of those guys. It's just dancing on a sliver thin razor blade edge of potential disaster. It's it's so exciting. It's like watching MotoGP. Same thing. It's like, ah, or Isle of Man, even better. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I I, I did some rallying once on a corporate day and it was the most surreal thing where somebody's telling you to turn the wheel to the left and the car goes to the right. 
but you, you trust the instructor and they know what they're doing and you get around without crashing. So yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. Long left, short left, hard right, maybe. You got it. Yeah, exactly. So helping others give back, you know, the way I look at EcoBat is your your company's company is all about that. I know it's a company that needs to make money and provides jobs, which is what you need to do. But is that how you view EcoBat? I mean, you guys are really giving back to the world, if you will, and society in the way that you're not allowing all these products to go into the ground and just be wasted. You're just, I kind of think of you, this is going to be funny, Frankenstein. You just keep building Frankenstein over and over again, meaning you bring things back to life. You know, there's life, there's life. Is that how you view your brand? Absolutely. When you look at the the history of the business has grown from the, the world of lead acid batteries, where exactly that's going on. And it's a sustainable product that can be recycled on and on. And now we're doing exactly the same with the more advanced chemistry. So lithium ion batteries, extending the life and then recycling them. So I would certainly say that the business model is, is the sustainability aspect is very much in the DNA of the business and what we're doing. And you don't really realize that we're already doing it until you look look back in the mirror and see that that's what we're doing. It's it's kind of in our blood already. Tremendous. Uh, congratulations to you and the team and the, and the brand. I mean, it's so important. And uh, it will just continue to grow to be more important as this EV world just explodes on us in the next 5, 10, 20 years. How about a great book? I love books. Is there a book you could share with us that you've enjoyed? My biggest challenge in life has probably been dyslexia. I'm very, very dyslexic. Oh, okay. I've over. I got thrown out of one school, and I wasn't. I wasn't uh, suitable for mainstream education. And the one book that I discovered as a child is a book by Roald Dahl called "The Vicar of Nibbleswick," and it's a very comical book regarding a, a vicar who is dyslexic and his sermon going horribly wrong and that has always stood out reading it as a child as an inspirational story that you can succeed as a as a, in life with various challenges like dyslexia and and take things in a very light-hearted manner rather than taking yourself too seriously you know i've not heard of that book and i'm really happy you mentioned this i have had a very i think after 2300 guests here a large number of guests who fall into that world and have had to deal with that in their life. And a lot of it, I think, is related to guests I've had on the show that do things with their hands, restorers, artists, painters, racers, uh, people that create things. And I'll tell you a quick story. I didn't know that my father was dyslexic until he was about 80 years old. And yeah, and we were chatting and he had become ill and he was kind of reflecting on life and we were just chatting. And and so I bought him this book and it was about, I forget what it was about, but something. And I gave it to him and he goes, well, I really can't read this. And I said, why not? And he goes, well, because I'm dyslexic. And I, I, I almost had an outer box. I won't like, what? That's not (laughs) something to joke about. And he said, no, seriously. He says, have you ever seen me read a book in my entire life? And I just, you know, you kind of go, well, yeah, I didn't think you were maybe much of a reader when I was a kid. I mean, I didn't see a lot of books in the house. And he goes, no, I've had to deal with this my whole life. Now, I think about my dad went to college, studied engineering, mathematics involved, numbers and, you know, and had to read. And he became an architect and had a business and had to write contracts. And I just went, whoa, how did you do all this? Like, why didn't you ever tell me? And he said, because I was in school, I was labeled dumb, you know, and And I think everybody and that's really interesting because certainly dyslexia 
was something that many years ago wasn't tested very well. My father was was dyslexic, but what we all do is we develop our coping strategies, and that's no doubt what your father did. He had his coping strategy and went through college with his engineering, etc., and yeah, Yeah. we all all find a way through. Well, it's it's tremendous to me, and my my, uh, sister is a teacher, and she's studied this quite a bit, and we had her talk about it afterwards, and she said, you know, one of the things we've learned about dyslexia is that people with dyslexia have... She called it superpowers. You call mm-hmm. it coping powers. And they found ways to deal with it. And and here's a great example. My father, when I was a little children, I literally thought he had x-ray vision. We would go into a building or a restaurant and he said, do you know what's inside the wall right there? And he could draw a sketch. He was very good. He was an artist as well. And he yeah. would draw a sketch of what was inside. Very visual, right? I mean, that's what you have to become, very visual. And memory is very important. And for a long time, I thought he had extra vision until I got older and went, okay, he studied engineering, architecture. You know how things have to go together. But that was mind-blowing to me. And I really appreciate you sharing that because there are people even today that now that we understand it better and we can test for it, but still might be embarrassed by it. And like, well, I can't do this, but I can do that. But I really appreciate you sharing that. And uh, yeah, it brings back a great, I lost my father about six years ago, but it brings back uh, some interesting memories that evolved into some even better discussions with him that I'd never been able to have of how we got through college. How did you do that? And how I'll tell you how he did it. He had an aunt who must have been able to see in the future. And she recognized that he was very smart and hated the fact that even my dad said his parents called him dumb. Why can't you learn? Why can't you be as smart as your brothers? And it must have been horrible for him but his aunt saw something in him and she secretly paid for a tutor to go through college with and sit with him in class and yeah pretty amazing his parents couldn't afford it but she did that for him and uh he paid her back for all the cost of that uh when he got into a business so yeah pretty pretty cool story yeah that is chokes me up a little bit when i think about it well i appreciate you sharing that and uh, that book is new here so i will put it that on tom's uh, suggested reading list here on the car show website so the ultimate drive i'm an enabler and before i let you go today i'm going to enable you to have some fun i'm going to provide you with any car in the world don't worry about the money i've got a big checkbook you can go anywhere and you can go with anybody even somebody from the past who's no longer with us so what does the ultimate drive look like for you tom well, funny enough, actually, the ultimate drive, I would be sat with my late grandfather. He passed away when I was five, so I've got very small but very fond memories of him. And I'd be driving my old Triumph TR6, 1976. I had that car for about 10 years. It was given to me by my father. And very sadly, about 10 years ago, I had to sell the car to be able to fund the development of the the home that we live in now as a family. But I would love to have that back and drive through a street where the the walls are tight in and you just hit the accelerator and then flick the overdrive. And the, the tone and noise of a TR6 when you're going through is just, it's an amazing sound of a vintage car purring away. Where would you like to be driving with your grandfather? Uh, I would be driving anywhere, just talking and, and learning a lot. So a lot of the passions that I'm involved in now are the same passions that he was involved in all through his life. So I just love to share those memories. And uh, there's no better place than having a, a car conversation because you, you, you're in the moment, you're there together. And lots of my deeper, meaningful conversations I've ever had with friends and family have been on long car journeys where you can really get into detail. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to use that, that space in life to be able to do the same. Very cool. Triumphs have always been one of those cars too that I love. The the ones I love are the the uh, the TR4s and the 250 uh, version yep. of those cars are just so pretty. The way the hood with the the little scallops over the headlights and so forth. Oh, so. That's nice. 
Yeah, my, my mother used to have a TR4A. That was her first. Oh, first. yeah. Nice. You have a cool mom. That's very cool. <laughs> so, Ecobat, how can people learn more about Ecobat? Uh, the best way is probably on our website, in fact, just ecobat.com. Um, or alternatively, uh, through LinkedIn. Um, Ecobat are, are very prominent on LinkedIn as well. Okay, great. I'll put links to those. I'd encourage you listeners, you know, it, this is an important part of our lives is recycling. We've gotten so much better on the planet. There's a lot of countries that need to get a lot better. So I'm sure Ecobat will expand into those countries as well. The world is your oyster right now, which is tremendous for growth and what you guys are doing. So very happy to have you on the show. I want to do a shout out. Thank you to Ben Lewis and James Parsons. Uh, they're both from a PR company. They introduced me to Tom and tomorrow's guest. We're going to be talking with a colleague of Tom's, uh, Peter Coleman from Ecobat to get a different perspective. And he's quite a car guy too. So we'll have some fun. Tom, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing the important work that you and your team are doing. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. No problem at all. And if ever you're over this side of the pond, do come and visit. I certainly will. It'll be great fun. I appreciate that. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.